we talk so much on the For the Love of Sports podcast about the power of connections and skill sets. So we're teaming up with Aquia Sports Group International to deliver two high-level mentorship programs. The 12-month sports business program will help you craft innovative partnerships and improve selling strategies. And for our newcomers to the sports world, we have a three-month sports business new grad program where you will gain skills to become an integral part of your team. Best news, both programs include monthly video meetups, digital worksheets, exclusive industry interviews, and real case studies. Let's come back from the shutdown even stronger. So head over to aqueous.co.com. That's www.aqueous.co for more information and to get on the wait list. Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rosil and my guest today is LaRue Cook founder of LEC Fitness. LaRue has taken a understanding to helping women in sports with fitness, as well as some other fitness lifestyle opportunities that have come along for him. So LaRue was an awesome, awesome guest to have on to really get an understanding of what he's doing in the space and how fitness has grown over the many, many years that he's been in it. So without further ado, here is LaRue Cook. All right, today I'm for the love of sports. I have LaRue Cook, founder of LEC Fitness. LaRue, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? It's a good day to be alive. It's beautiful up here in the Northeast, finally. I can get outside <laughs> a little bit more often. I mean, it snowed two Saturdays ago or three Saturdays yeah, ago. Yeah, I know. It was, and it's, it's crazy. I hate New Jersey, man. Um, but all my friends all my family are here, so I'm staying for, I guess, as long as I have to. But LaRue, first question I have for everybody I'm for the love of sports podcast is... Why do you love sports so much? Oh, wow. I could go on forever with that question. Um, we got an hour, so fill up as much <laughs> of it as you'd like, man. Well, I basically started playing sports at the age of six. Um, and back in those days, I played Little League Baseball. And back in those days, the kids actually did the pitching. So it was no t-ball, no parent pitching. I became a pitcher. Um, quite by accident, just because I could throw pretty accurately and fairly. So uh, I started there. And what I really loved about the sport and sports in general was the socialization part of it, uh, the opportunity to play with teammates and have a sort of a common goal. Um, I think that's an important aspect of sports, which every kid can benefit from. Then you start to learn how to goal set and and how to deal with winning and losing and, you know, you get the ice cream, whether you win or lose mm-hmm. and how you can lace them up and come back and play again. Um, all of that, uh, the preparation, which as a little kid, you may not necessarily appreciate so much, but as you get older, you re- start to recognize that preparing to play your sport is really, really important and it helps you in terms of your performance. And so all of that rolled into one was uh, a, a love of mine. I love it. And I think it, it is very important, as you said, you know, especially at a young age, hey, we're here to have fun. We're here to, you know, learn about, you know, what's going on and the competition aspect and, you know, motor skills, I think are very important too. But it's, you are right. I mean, there is, there is something in, you know, everyone gets ice cream at six, but once you start to get a little bit older, maybe everyone <laughs> doesn't deserve that ice cream anymore. But it's definitely something where, you know, there, there's so much you can learn from playing sports at a young age. That, and, you know, I have this conversation all the time with incredible people like yourself. It's it's what how, how can you take all of those life skills and all of that information, but utilize it later on? I mean, how many people, 2% of less than 1%? I don't ever remember the statistic, but so few athletes from the NCAA ranks actually go on to play professionally. That's right. So how many does that mean, you know, stopped at high school? I stopped right. my sophomore year of high school. I still was able to learn a lot, you know, from age five or six or whatever up to, you know, 15, you know, play sports for about 10 years. So I think that part is very important. And so 
how how did you get i know you do fitness training now but i know there's kind of an interesting story behind how you actually got into fitness training so if you don't mind sharing that with everyone um i'm sure i'm sure we'll all be enlightened a little bit and enjoy it <laughs> well as i said um being a lover of sports since the ripe old age of six um, i was always interested and fascinated by how the body worked and even as young as six years old i used to go to the local library and get books bring them back and lay in the bed. Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. What's a, what's a library? <laughs> Haven't been. Um, this is back in the stone <laughs> age when they had things that were, you know, called books. Ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. I'm, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> and I would bring these books home. And although I couldn't really understand what I was reading, I really was fascinated by looking at the pictures of the body and muscles and, and people in mo in motion. Um, so from that early age, uh, I continued on. Uh, and when I finally made it into college, I was a health science undergrad. And so I did a lot of the anatomy, physiology, kinesiology, all the ologies, I call them. Um, but at that time of the at that time in history, fitness wasn't really a defined profession. Um, so I went on and got my master's degree in hospital administration, um, became a hospital administrator for several years. Uh, ultimately ended up going back to law school, becoming a healthcare lawyer. All the while, my passion and what was always in the back of my mind was fitness and how can I turn this into something, my passion for that into something that is a profession. Um, later on, more and more, uh, fitness became more of a defined profession. And at that point, I decided to start getting my certifications and, and spend more of my time doing that, which I really loved. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, you do the thing you love, man. I mean, we only get to do this whole life thing once. You might as well enjoy it, right? And I think Absolutely. You know, it, it's an interesting avenue. I mean, it was always kind of in the health care, health and wellness, fitness space. But at the same time, it's clear that you kind of had a couple different, uh, you know, a couple different stops along the way. And, and thankfully, <laughs> you did because it got to you to where you are. That's right. But I guess... How frustrating is it looking back thinking like what fitness in the industry is like now where, I mean, you can go on Instagram and see any amount of person, you know, now they're just making buku dollars, just showing off their body, which kudos right. to them, man. If you got it flaunted, I'm all about that. Right. But I mean, how, how frustrating is it or, or how grateful are you? And how, how do you kind of look at it, you know, from that perspective, understanding it wasn't there before, but now obviously you've been able to build a career out of it. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting juxtaposition of things because, um, on the one hand, as you said, pretty much anyone and everyone can become a quote unquote fitness professional. Mm -hmm. um, the proof is in the pudding. And, and so credentialing has become really, really important. Uh, more and more uh, of states are starting to look at fit, the fitness industry in terms of possibly licensure and those kinds of things. And so pretty much the fitness industry is still fairly unregulated. And so there's a strata of trainers mm -hmm. from from someone who got their certification over the weekend to someone who has an exercise science background as well as um, you know some of the tougher certifications and so it's it's a it's a double-edged sword it gives us a lot of um, notoriety in terms mm -hmm. of the the, um, the the celebrity trainers but everyone can't go to a celebrity trainer and so those of us who are not necessarily celebrity trainers and who work with the general population, we still get those people because, again, you can't everyone can't one trainer can't train everyone. So there's always room for all of us, I think. Of course. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And it's always interesting to me, again, just seeing these guys and girls and just like, oh, buy like buy like my book. You know, this is my training routine. Well, it's not the same for everyone. As you said, you can't just. You know, it's not just a, hey, do these and you'll look like me. That's obviously not how this thing works. So uh, sometimes it is frustrating, as you said, but at the same time, there's kind of that you do get that heightened awareness too from it, I'm assuming right. as well, which is pretty important. And and so you talk about your certifications a little bit. I think I wrote a couple down, strength and conditioning uh, certifications, sports and injury prevention, tennis performance specialist, youth conditioning. I think I only wrote like three of the hundred <laughs> down. So, I mean, I, I kind of with that little backstory, understanding why you need all these certifications to kind of 
help yourself stand out from the crowd, I guess, for lack of a better term. But at what point did, did you realize that, especially with the industry being so fledgling when you did get into it? Well, I think that um, more so than for me, it was, I'm a lifelong learner. And one thing that I quickly realized entering into this field on a more uh, full-time basis is that no one trainer can know everything. And so you need to figure out where your niche is, where your interest is, where your passion is. And that's the area that you need to, to really focus on and try to learn as much as you can in that area. Um, I, I think that in our industry, there are too many generalists. And unfortunately, um, some trainers try to do everything and you can't do everything. And so it's, I, I make it akin to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, you have an internist, you have a surgeon, you have a general surgeon, you may have a cardio surgeon, a cardiac surgeon, or a brain surgeon. You want to go to a brain surgeon if you have a brain injury. You mm-hmm. don't want to go to a general surgeon or, or even to an internist because you want a specialist. And so specializing for me became a focus that I really wanted to do. Um, I did a lot, I do a lot of work with athletes. And in that same realm, then you start to look into injury prevention and post rehab training and those kinds of things. So they all kind of tie together. And that it makes sense. I mean, you you can't if you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to nobody. That That's is right. something that I have tried to live by for a long time now. And it's because being general, being, you know, I, I don't believe that you, you know, in, in certain situations, yes, you need to go to a brain surgeon for brain surgery. But I think it has gotten to the point where everything is so subject matter expert that there is room to be, you know, slightly generalized and understanding the big picture and then knowing a little bit more as you do, as you said. But it's it's injury prevention, it's tenants performance, which is interesting, youth conditioning. I just think some of these really stood out to me and just kind of showing that, yes, you can be very specific, but you also can allow for a little bit of breadth and depth of that knowledge to a couple different areas, which I think is pretty interesting. And so with that, I know injury prevention and ACLs in particular is something that you do love to focus, love to focus on. I don't know if that's the best word to use, but (laughs) it's something that you have focused on for a very long time. Let's go with that. And so I guess, you know, with, with, you know, so ACLs obviously are I don't know if they're famous, infamous kind of injury. We see it all the time in football. You see it with basketball occasionally as well. Right. You know, it is a very important ligament. And when it goes, we're not all, we're not all NBA athletes. We're not all NFL athletes. When it goes for the normal human, it's a little different. So when you do focus with athletes on this particular injury, how have you seen, especially over the last few years where this injury goes from 18 months to now it's down to nine in certain situations where we had the Adrian Peterson thing from a couple years ago where he gets hurt on Christmas Eve and he comes back a couple months later. That's, we're not going to talk too much about that in particular, but you know, what have you seen in, in advancements and specifically this injury and the prevention of it, or at least when it does happen, the bounce back of an athlete and understanding that aspects of the knee. Yeah. Well, research continues in that area because it's such a devastating injury and because it happens more often than what we would like, um, there are two types of ACL types of injuries. Uh, one would be the contact type, which is more the football type. And that's that's something that you really can't do a lot about in terms of preventing. It just happens. But the ones that we can do something about are the non-contact ACL injuries. And those you can actually train to um, reduce your risk of those uh, in a way that you can enjoy your sport and hopefully reduce your opportunity or the chances of, uh, of getting that type of an injury. Um, surgeries are getting, of course, better and better in all aspects. And so, so is recovery. And as you mentioned, some of the timeframes in which athletes are recovering uh, are incredible, but on, for the general population, you know, you want to still be safe and mm-hmm. smart because this is a type of injury that could be a lifelong problem for you if you don't really rehab properly and take your time. So um, I'm still a proponent of taking your time. There's a six week program post surgery program ACL um, that I do. And it's, it's a six week program. And that's just to get you to the point after surgery, after rehab, so that you can start to function, you know, more normally. 
And on the prevention side, non-contact injuries, you know, just being a big sports fan, we all kind of cringe when we see those because yeah. you know, it's a, it's just, Oh no, he didn't get touched and he fell down like a, right. like a house of cars. Like that is, it's so awful when you see it. I mean, I'm not a doctor. Of course I can't diagnose those, but Dr. Chow on Twitter, he, uh, he kind of lets us know what's going on a lot of the times. So in terms of those, I guess, how and why do those happen? Just they, they almost seem random. And then I guess, what do you do from your standpoint to, as you said, make sure that those happen less often or, or prevent them for as long as possible? Well, what the research has shown is that most of the non-contact uh, types of uh, ACL injuries occur during what's called a deceleration event. And so that's usually jumping and landing, stopping on the dime, so to speak, those, those type of real violent decelerations is where most of the non-contact ACL injuries happen. So you'll watch a basketball player go to dunk a ball or something or grab a rebound, and they land in a slightly awkward way, um, and the ACL goes. Mm-hmm. For women in particular, one of the main issues uh, for non-contact uh, ACL injuries is what's called valgus. It's, we call it knock knee. So a a player, let's say a volleyball player or a basketball player jumps and lands and they land in this knock knee position, it puts a stress on that knee joint and on the ACL. So we train to land properly, uh, land softly, and also to what's called strengthen the posterior chain. We've research has shown that women tend to be a little weaker in the hamstring area and stronger in the quads. And so what that does is it, it causes the knee joint to the, the bones to shift. You want the hamstrings to be as strong so that they can hold their position, hold the knee position and not put stress on the ACL. That's a rudimentary description. So a lot of it is strengthening the hamstrings, learning how to land softly and without valgus and cutting in a proper way without putting too much stress on the knees. Very interesting. And and so you brought up the the knock knee. Is that kind of what you were describing with the hamstring and, and the quad? And that's why it happens more often in women? Uh, it's Yeah, it's it's a a lot of times if you have someone that has this valgus position, a lot of times it 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 relates to a weakened um, glute medius muscle. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of glute work, a lot of glute work, a lot of hamstring work, that whole posterior chain. That's going to help um, girls particularly girl basketball players on either avoiding that position or those that had it correcting it in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And this is why I have cool people like you on. Cause now I get to learn a little <laughs> bit more about this stuff. Uh, do your squats, everybody do your squats. That's, that's what I learned right, from yeah. that part of the conversation. And so with that, I mean, you bring up female athletes and I know that's a particular area again, niching down a little bit. That is an area that you really do focus on. You work with a lot of female athletes and you've helped many over the years. I guess, where where did the love of helping female athletes come from and, and why did you go down that direction or why did you go down that path? Um, I just saw that for me, for the longest time, uh, girls and women who were athletes didn't necessarily get the same type of strength and conditioning training that, the, that their male counterparts did. Um, Quite often, girls and women would get the skills training. So they'd learn how to throw better. They'd learn how to you know, run faster or, or, or do a skill set in a particular sport. Mm-hmm. But they didn't get into the weight room very often. And so I saw that as an area that really, number one, would help with their sports performance. And number two, and probably more importantly, would help with their injury prevention. Um, and so I started to focus more and more. I, I started off with a couple of girl basketball players. And of course, then as they start to get better, stronger, faster, um, then the word starts spreading. Parents talk to each other. And then you have another one and then another one. And before you know it, you have a lot of. And so then you start to focus in on that uh, on that aspect of it. And it's a passion of mine. I love it um, to sit there and watch one of the. Uh, girls that I've trained or one of the women that I've trained to see them perform and really appreciate that. It really is where I get my juice. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice knowing 
seeing the impact that you've had on someone, right? It's kind of cool being able to see like, all right, like I obviously didn't do that on my own. Right. She she had to put in all the work and, and she had to come to the training sessions. But it's nice knowing that you had a hand in it and you were able to help her get to that next level potentially and further beyond. And, you know, with that, I guess seeing how, you know, as you said, female athletes, they never really had that push to go to the weight room. They never really got that particular set of um, training regimen that's probably not right. the word i'm looking for how how did you for lack of a better term take advantage of that and how did you start to really just say like okay now i understand this is the the avenue i'm going to go down how did you then start pushing yourself out there and letting people know like hey i'm larue cook i really am great at helping female athletes you know make sure that they're going to have right. injury prevention and become better at the sports and the and the things that they love yeah i think like i said before a lot of it is word of mouth so once you start with one or two um, then the word starts to spread within that team and then mm -hmm. outside of that team. And you start to get that. Um, I do a lot of work and I've done a lot of work in the past with some local uh, physical therapists. Mm -hmm. And um, once you've had one of their patients and they've had success with them, then you start to get more and more referrals in that respect. Um, I also do a lot of writing. And I think that that's really, really helped a lot in terms of spreading the word just in terms of what you do and um, and getting that information out to people that you may not necessarily see on a day-to-day -day basis. So all of those things for mm -hmm. me um, were extremely helpful. Word of mouth, building relationships. And yeah, I tried to set you up to, to get you to that writing piece. I, I was going <laughs> to ask the question, but I thought I'd try and set you up and it worked. Man. So, you yeah, succeeded. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm starting to get kind of good at this thing, hopefully. One of these days. So with, with that, I know, as you, as you said, you sent a bunch of stuff over to me as well. Um, I don't think I read all of them. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you on that, but I definitely perused a few of them and I think it's really interesting. And so at what point did you start to like, when did you make the connection? Hey, I have to put myself out there. You know, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's it's kind of difficult. You know, these first couple right. live streams I did got a little nervous after the first right. couple. I was like, wait, this is super easy and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing more of them. So at what point did you realize like, all right, now I need to, you know, start writing. And then how do you come up with these topics and how do you then pitch these to, to magazines and publications? How does that process work? Again, I mean, you're a lawyer, so you probably know how to write pretty well, but how does that <laughs> process work? And how did you start to put yourself out there a little bit more. Well, as a lawyer, you have to learn how to write so that other people can understand it. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. So you had to learn how to write twice. Great, great stuff for you. Uh, but no, that's a great question, Michael, because um, I've always enjoyed writing. Always have enjoyed writing. And I remember back in, gosh, probably back in 1992, somewhere around in there, I started trying to write um, and for the purposes of having these things published. Mm -hmm. Well, I would send them out and of course everybody, no, no, no. Have you written, have you published anything before? And you say, no, and then they say, thank you very much. Finally, one day I sent um, an, an article off on tennis, fitness and conditioning to an organization in, in South Carolina. Voila, they published it. It was online, but it was published. Take it. And from that moment on, I was able to honestly say, yes, I've been published. All of a sudden, um, the curtain opened and I started getting more and more uh, acceptances of my of my writing. Um, and so I was off and running because I, for me, I can sit down with an idea in my head and I can write the complete article within a couple of hours. Um, because what I do, and it's funny that you ask how you come up with it, just observation. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's just observing what's going on in the world. And I'll give you an interesting uh, example. I was waiting for a, ten a friend of mine one day to play tennis. And so I'm waiting. It's lunchtime. I'm sitting at a, um, in an area where there are lots of business people. It's on a hilly area. I'm watching people as I'm sitting in the car, I'm watching people walk up the hill. And I'm walk watching people walk down the hill. And I said, huh, okay. So to accelerate your body to get up the hill, we you have to be leaning forward. Aha. So that's how we accelerate. We got to first lean forward and then mm -hmm. we propel ourselves. To decelerate, which is going back to the ACL proper, mm -hmm. you got to lean back a little bit to slow your momentum down. So I wrote an article about acceleration and deceleration, and I used walking up a hill and coming down a hill as a, as a poignant example of what I was trying to describe in terms of your center of gravity. Um, and so 
things like that. They just kind of pop in your head as you're watching mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And I think that's, those are the best articles because they're the most relatable, right? Like those that's are the right. ones where it's like, yeah, I've, I've walked up a hill before. I, I understand how that concept works <laughs> and being able to then kind of go about reading the article through that example, I think is the most important piece. And that's I think, right. again, it's, it's really interesting. It's just kind of observing it's, it's, you know, awareness, right? You know, it's, it's a superpower in my opinion, if you can really self-awareness, obviously, but just general awareness and understanding what's going on around you. And I'm sure you come up with article ideas every day. And as you said, you know, you're then able to put those into, into motion. And thankfully that tennis uh, publication said, yes, you're good to go. So now you can say, yes, I'm a published author. And so how often do you, I mean, I'm sure you come up with these articles all the time, but how often do you write them? How often are you pitching them? And, and is there a set schedule you're on or when something comes to mind, you're like, Hey, let's see who wants this one today. Right. Um, both actually, because I um, have been commissioned to write, not just articles, but also to produce a few um, short videos mm -hmm. um, for one association that I work with. And that is on a set schedule. I, I start that schedule at the beginning of the year and it takes me all the way through that mm -hmm. calendar year. Others, I just keep a, I keep a file of article ideas as I pop into my head and I might write an article either for, for hopefully potential publication or just to disseminate out into the public just for information. And so it's a little bit of both. Um, if it's not on a schedule, I'll pitch the idea to a particular association or organization and they'll say yay or nay, and then I'll complete it and send it in. So yeah, it's both. Congratulations on the commissioning. I think that part's pretty damn cool. And I mean, just, it's, it's fun for you, right? This is the thing you, you enjoy the most. So now Absolutely. you just get to talk about it some more and get to put your words out there, take all that information in and, and, you know, push that out through yourself and, you know, hopefully people can learn something from it, like how to walk up and down a hill. I think that's <laughs> important information. Everyone needs to know. Lean forward, lean back, right. It's that, it's that easy, but there's more that goes into it. And so you brought up videos a little bit and I want to, you know, I'm curious, you know, as we were talking about before a little earlier in the conversation, social media, influencers, like how hot I am by my, you know, book on how to get ripped abs, you know, that kind of thing. How, how do you take advantage of social media and how do you take advantage of, you know, YouTube and creating these videos? Again, coming from the, uh, the, the, the position of one size does not fit all, right. but maybe here's something that we all can do, do your squats, that can potentially you know, just help you in the long term. So how do you take advantage and utilize social media? Um, I've, I've gotten better at that and even more so, of course, since we're sort of quarantined. Mm -hmm. But um, I've done that for years in terms of um, I will put uh, links onto LinkedIn or links onto um, Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, those are probably two of the primary areas that I do. I do a lot of uh, movie editing on my iMovie. I've become really proficient at that. Very nice. And then I'll, I'll put them on my Dropbox and periodically send them out to either clients, friends, or, or just others, um, just as a more informational, inf you know, informational kind mm -hmm. of uh, release more so than trying to generate real like business or anything like that. Uh, and it's been amazing for me as I put as an example, um, some of my videos on LinkedIn, I've gotten viewers from all over the world. And that has been, it really makes me feel good that people are, you know, actually reading this or viewing this and that they're taking it to heart no matter where they are. So I like that. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's very important. You have built up, um, a profile of expertise. You are, again, you have all those certifications. I don't think I have enough time to go all over all of them, <laughs> but I think, you know, it's just something that if you are able to be the expert in something, people are going to pay attention to you. People are going to listen to you. So I'm kind of curious why you don't put those, some of those videos, you said you put some of them on LinkedIn. Why don't you have that YouTube channel that allows that archival footage for people to go back and watch if, if you already made it and you, right. you're finding your clients and your friends are enjoying it. You know, as we just said, maybe maybe a couple other people out there like myself uh, wouldn't mind seeing some of those videos. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and that's always an idea. That's always a thought. Um, I Generally, I've just sort of decided from a business perspective to to be a, be more focused and targeted in terms of who I send those out to. But trust me, um, the links are available. And so what hap what I what I find happens is that then that link is sent somewhere else. Perfect. And before you know it, I've had articles that I've written as an example. I Google myself every now and then just to see what's out there. 
And I saw this one article of mine that I had written and it was in complete Spanish. And I don't oh, write in Spanish. No. It was the Argentinian Tennis Association. And um, they had taken one of my articles and converted it into Spanish. And here I was being, you know, my article was being read in Argentina, even though I didn't really speak Spanish. And so I was like, what? I didn't write that. <laughs> that is pretty cool. As so, you got credit for it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. As long as I got attestation yeah. for it, no problem. But the point being, even if I even if I release it to one little area, somehow they end up all over the place. Well, and that's that's a testament to word of mouth, right? You know, right. as you said, some of those links, they're not quite public, they're not quite private. But if a friend sends it to a friend who sends it to a friend, you know, that's now right. we're starting that spiderweb <laughs> effect a little bit that's and right. uh, your, your name's getting passed around and, and people are starting to learn a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And and so we're, we're talking about videos a little bit. And I know you have the documentary, We Are Athletes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. And I, I'm a very big documentary fan. I'm all for it. Obviously, we all just watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, which was right. fantastic. So I know the Lance Armstrong one just started this past right. weekend. And we got a couple others coming on ESPN. I love all the 30 for 30. So tell me a little right. bit about this documentary, where the idea came from, what actually, you know, a lot of people have ideas, but the actual execution of it too, I think is very important. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what you're, uh, what you're working on here. Well, on a much smaller scale than 3030. That's not not on you, man. Don't worry. You're not, Disney is not giving you millions and millions of dollars yet. Yet. One of these days, maybe though. Yeah, hopefully one of these days. That's right. Um, Well, it all started really with, again, my passion for working with female athletes and also with my passion for writing. Um, I serve as a volunteer film judge, believe it or not. And, um, so I was watching one of the films with my co-judges and at the end of the film, we turned up the lights and we were talking about the film and I made this offhand comment. I said, well, you know, I think I could do better than that. And one of the co-judges said, well, then why don't you? Well, I'm like, Hmm, well, I've never done a, I've never done a film before. I don't know what I'm doing. And she happened to have been a film producer, not only a film producer, but she has, I think won two Emmys now. Oh, wow. And so she says, well, you know, I've always been looking for another project. I'll, I would work with you if you wanted to do a film. I'm like, I have no idea what to do it on. She said, well, think about it. So using sort of that same idea that I use when I come up with article ideas, I went home, thought about it. I said, you know, I'm going to do this, this uh, documentary on the, the benefits of strength and conditioning for female athletes. So I started writing a script and the beauty of writing a documentary is that I don't have to write much of a script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just set it up and the questions asked of the person and they go, you know, they, it's an open mic and they just go with it. So um, I started doing that. And fortunately, as I said, I had a really experienced person to produce the film for me or direct the film for me rather. And so we went, went at it. We, we, it took us a year and we called it down to 18 minutes. <laughs> so it was a, it was a, docu- a short. Um, loved the whole process. It was very similar to writing for me because mm-hmm. it was setting up an, uh, an outline and then figuring out where you want to start and where you want this to end and then going for it. That is fantastic, man. And I think it's, it's, I mean, 18 minutes is a lot of footage, uh, right? You know, it's, it, it took you an entire year and it's, it's always interesting when, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I've, uh, you know, been able to produce too many documentaries in my time, maybe one day, but I do, I do have some friends in the industry and right. yeah, you, you think what about an hour, you know, one minute of footage comes down to, you know, so many actual minutes of tape right. and, and it, it just takes way, way longer than everyone thinks it does, which is, it's unfortunate. And, you know, hopefully you can shed a little light onto what that's like, but I think <laughs> just, I mean, coming up with 18 minutes of footage and, and really being able to help tell that story, I guess, what, what were some of the takeaways from these questions and conversations and, and allowing these people to speak on, you know, athletes and female athletes in particular on that fitness aspect. Well, what I really loved about this film was that um, the documentary covered um, women and girls of all demographics. So we mm-hmm. had some um, early preteens, uh, teenagers, women in their forties and then older women. And to hear their stories and how the approach to athletics was for them as they were growing up. 
and then to bring it forward to where I'm training with some of these 12 or 13 year old girls and they have a whole nother perspective on what it means to get prepared for their sport. Mm-hmm. So it was really fascinating to hear not only the, the historical part of women in athletics, but also to hear some of the young women now, the young girls now that are training with me or whatever or otherwise, what physical training and strength and conditioning actually meant to them um, and how it gave them self-confidence, how it trans and how it can transition from the gym or from the field of play into the classroom or for the women mm-hmm. into the, into the office, that self-confidence in yourself and your, in your physical as well as mental capabilities was something that I wasn't necessarily um, expecting to hear, mm-hmm. but it was a really good thing to hear from, uh, from those people. And so how did you take advantage of that information? What did you start to do more of after learning that fantastic information that you just out lay, uh, laid out for us? What did you, did you change anything moving forward or did, was that kind of always in the back of your mind, understanding how you're again, not just making an impact on the court, on the field, but you're starting to see an impact in the, the people themselves, which I right. think is the most important part. That's exactly right. And that's always been a primary focus of my training. Um, I like to, when I'm training this, as I tell all my clients, you don't need me to show you how to work a bicep, bend mm. your elbow. What you need me for is the design, program design, and to make you, what I always tell my clients, my job is to make you comfortable with discomfort. Mm. And so I'm going to push you a little bit to the point of where here's your line. We're going to try to go a little bit above that line. As that line keeps moving, my job is to keep you moving above that line. And so I've always been uh, aware of the fact that there was a, a mental as well as a physical component to what we were doing because it really allowed um, some of the people I was training to realize exactly what they can do as opposed to what they can't do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I saw that transition from um, working with me in the fitness center or wherever we were out in the field to the classroom because a lot of the girls that I worked with, I had several girls that were just you know straight A students um, they may not have necessarily fit in a team environment initially, but then to see their self-confidence build and all of a sudden they were, um, I, I could write books on all of that. That's awesome. Well, I guess you kind of have to write a book. About it, <laughs> you? You, you can't say that we're recording. It's live, man. People are watching. You're going to have to write a book now. Words uh, out. <laughs> I hope that's okay with you, LaRue. I don't know if you are in the process of writing that book. Maybe, I don't know. Tease it. Don't, don't tell us. Just tease it a little bit. One never knows. You never know, man. Um, So I think that is awesome. And again, just, you know, having this project, again, everybody's got cool ideas, but then actually executing on it. And then, you know, putting that information out there for others to learn. But I think more importantly, you were able to learn through it. And now you're able to take that information and impact more and more lives. And hopefully others obviously will as well. And so I do want to change gears just a little bit here. As I was telling you before we came on, I did watch Jerry Seinfeld's new special on Netflix. It was solid. I'm more of a fan of the TV show. A stand up is kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that is what it is. But at one point, he says he's 65 years old. And I was like, that's that's insane. He doesn't look like he's 65 at all. And then you kind of start putting two to two together. 65 is not really what it used to be, right? Like the that's sitcom right. 65, you know, I think there was an interesting picture that went around. You know, it was a juxtaposition of, you know, the Golden Girls. Great TV show. I love it. You know, at 55. And then you see J-Lo at however old she is and, you know, what she's <laughs> been able to do. And we all understand, you know, obviously you know, we might not want to compare ourselves to JLo. That's probably not right. the best thing for our, our, our self-confidence, right? But, <laughs> you know, it's fitness. It's it's actually the working out. It's the nutrition. It's the fitness and how people are able to utilize that from a younger age moving forward to live longer and to feel better and to look better. And so I guess, what have you found in that regards? I know you don't have to tell us your age, but you did tell me you are over 55. I don't know, maybe a little older than JLo. You look great doing it. So uh, well, thank you. what have you seen in just people over the, you know, the time that you've been doing fitness or really kind of older people realizing that this is something or or younger people realizing this is something that if you start from a young age, you're going to feel better, you're going to look better, you're going to do better in life over a significantly longer period of time. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what I always tell my clients, my oldest client is 98. And what I always tell my clients is no matter how old you are, uh, it's never too late to start. 
Um, and it's funny because I'll get maybe a, a new client who's in their 70s mm-hmm. and they'll come in. And the first thing they say is how old they are. And they're like, well, you know, I'm old. And so, you know, and I, and I look at them, I look them in the eye. I said, you're a baby. And they, what do you and they look at me they're like, what do you mean I'm a baby? I'm like, compared to a 98 year old, you're a baby. Mm-hmm. So it's all relative to where you are. And my job, I always tell them, is to make you the best 70-something that you can be. And not, we're not trying to make you into a 50-year-old. We're just going to make you the best 75-year-old that you can be or whatever that age is. And so it's a matter of um, keeping them focused mm-hmm. and, again, giving them things that they can do as opposed to things that they can't do. Um, and then starting to advance those things that they can do. And so a lot of the um, older clients, more mature clients, let's put it that way. Um, one of the major things to work on is balance. Really? Because yeah, yeah, I guess falling. Yeah. Yeah. Falling is a big, big, big issue. And a lot of that is because the lower body is weaker. So we work on a lot of strengthening of the lower body and then working on balance. And it's amazing. I've gotten to the point with some of my older clients, they can stand on one leg, catch flags and, and not even realize that they're on one leg anymore because they're focused on the flags. And, and then they look down and look at you on one leg. They're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so, I love it. <laughs> that is good stuff, man. I think, again, it's just so important, um, you know, just to pay attention to this stuff growing up. I'm not going to say I'm the fittest human on planet Earth, but I make sure I go outside. I get my, you know, couple miles in every day, whether it's a walk or a run. Um, you know, doing some body weight training, not very much, but some, you know, it's something it's, it's better than nothing, right? That's (laughs) That's right. Absolutely. And I know, you know, like, especially, and actually, so this is a, this is actually just something that popped into my head. Again, working with so many female athletes, Mm -hmm. pregnancy is obviously a very huge thing, right? You know, I just have um, my, my sister-in-law just had a baby. uh, I don't know. When's August, almost a year ago. Let's just go with that. And she, it looks fantastic. She, she got right back into it. She, she was always doing something. She was never sitting around and obviously she's in a, a nice position. She wasn't, I don't think she was bedridden or anything. How have you seen women, especially, you know, athletes and, and pregnancy affect their fitness and their nutrition and their training and, and how long, I guess the, the answer is going to be subjective, but how long does that normally last before they can bounce back and get back to, you know, either where they were or at least a significant portion of where they were. Right. Yeah. Um, I've done and have and continue to do a lot of um, pre-pregnancy workouts. Okay. And I've done and continue to do a lot of pre-surgical rest uh, workouts for women for whatever their particular surgery is going to be. Um, and I think that a lot of the recovery part from pregnancy has to do with where you start. Mm. So um, a lot of the surges nowadays are starting to prescribe for their patients pre-surgical workouts because they realize if I'm working with better material, so to Mm -hmm. speak, then the chances of this person recovering faster is going to be better. Um, And now, of course, the focus has been since I don't know how long, but the old focus was you, you were pregnant and you have a child or you recover from surgery, stay in bed for six weeks. Don't get up, don't move. Now they have you up and moving, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the very next day. And so, um, it increase, it increases the circulation. It just makes the muscles work better. And I think that more and more the focus is on getting people up and out and moving around as quickly as safe and quickly and safely as possible after pregnancy or after any of these other kinds of interventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm on more on the, on the um, pre side than the mm-hmm. post side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do a lot of work in preparing somebody to get pregnant um, knowing that then that's going to help them with their pregnancy and it's going to help them with their delivery. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And sorry if I threw a curveball at you. That's just, oh, no, 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 I, you know, not at all. Kind of thought, hey, you work with female athletes. There's this thing <laughs> that many of them go through at some point in their life we might want to ask right. about. So, Absolutely. Um, that is interesting stuff. And yeah, I guess, yeah, obviously you've been talking about the prevention side a lot more. So it's, it's always important and it makes sense, right? If you're, you know, where you started, easier to get back there than if you never were there at all right so i think that's that exactly that right pretty important that's and, exactly right and so the one thing we have been speaking about kind of you know sprinkling in throughout the conversation is maybe you know we're in this whole pandemic not too many people can leave their house the weather's starting to get nice so you can at least go outside a little bit i've been right. working from my deck the last few days which has been fantastic so what are some of the things that you are 
talking to your clients about with this time, not really being able to see as many of them or any of them as you'd like, and, and still getting them to do what they need to do with the materials that they have at their disposal. Not everyone has an you know, entire weight set or a bench right. press, but everyone can do pushups, right? So right. how have you been helping your clients? And what would you what would you say is just a good idea for everybody that's working from home because it's most people, something they could do during a daily basis that would just get them in a little bit better shape than they were yesterday? Right. Well, I, I actually do online training now. Awesome. And I just finished, just before I came on here, I just finished with a client doing online training. Perfect. And so um, that allows me to still reach my clients and we utilize whatever they have at their disposal. So what I often ask them before we even set this up is, what do you have? And then I will make a program based on what they have available to them, either in their homes or wherever. Um, so that aspect is out there. But what I think is really good is that um, I used to, this is many years ago, this is way before COVID. Um, I came up with a program that I introduced called the Couch Potato Workout. <laughs> and what I, the, the concept, and this is, it's fast forward to now, it's really come to fruition because the, the concept was, okay, so let's say you just, you'd like to spend an hour watching your favorite show or whatever. Um, I did a research and I think that they said something like an, an hour show, there's about at least 15 minutes worth of total commercials. Mm -hmm. During those 15 minutes, every time a commercial comes on, what I tell the client is get up, either do some body squats, do some push-ups, stretch until the next, until the commercial break is over. It's amazing how much exercise you can get in a commercial break. I do it and I, I'll do like my bands or I'll do some push-ups. And at the end of that hour show, trust me, you've had a great workout. And so even if you're in the house without any equipment, you can do, there's a myriad of exercises that you can do just using your body weight, as you said. Um, and so that concept works for anybody no matter where they are. I mean, you can do that in your office. You can do that in your home. You can do it out in your patio, which is where I often do some of my online training. Um, and it's, it's, it's available to everybody. I love that. So we'll all come to LaRue's patio to do his online training. <laughs> I think that's great. But no, man, I, th this has been absolutely fantastic. I really do appreciate that last part. Um, the, the commercial workout is definitely, you know, you've heard it before, but now I think is a great time if you haven't implemented it already. Maybe try that out a little bit. Because as you said, you know, you do you do push-ups for, you know, four minutes straight during that commercial break. That's a lot of push-ups, right? Like <laughs> maybe exactly you know, right. a couple different sets of push-ups there. So I think <laughs> that's, that's right. that part. It's pretty important. Stretching, I, stretching, drinking water and breathing are like my free, three favorite things. So I try and do them as much as possible. You know, it, it's insane. If I don't stretch in the morning, right. what I feel like at the end of the day versus if I, you know, just do even light stretching, nothing crazy. That's how much right. better I feel immediately right out of bed. I mean, it's also good for body flow or like, um, like blood flow and all that. So I think that part's very important, but what, um, last question, last topic, what are some future goals that you are looking to accomplish. You know, you have your own business, you're starting to do some virtual training. Hopefully everything starts to come back to normal right. in, the, in, the, in the coming weeks, days, months, whatever we want to call it. Is Are there any, you know, accomplishments that you're looking for? Maybe an hour long documentary, maybe that book we were talking about. I don't, I don't know. Book, Anything? definitely. Definitely, book. okay. Book we'll is definitely, uh, I, have a, I have an ongoing file that I keep putting thoughts in and, at some point, I'm going to put it all together and come up with an outline and then start from there. Um, getting a book published is a lot harder, though. And so I've got a few author friends who are published and I'm going to, you know, tease their brain a little bit as to how to get into that uh, that particular area of, of writing. But for me, um, I'm really starting to enjoy my virtual training, my online training. It allows me the same opportunity that my writing did, which is to reach people that I may not necessarily be able to put my hands on personally because they are too far away or whatever, mm -hmm. but I can still give them um, my expertise. And so I'm starting to, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to expand that part of what I do um, because I can do that pretty much anywhere that the client is. And with anything that they have available to them, because there's always modifications that you can make. You don't assume everybody has a 
a fully equipped gym in, at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, virtual trainings are, especially if it is that one-on-one or even that group setting. I mean, my girlfriend, my mom, they do the the Peloton, you know, we don't right. have a bike, but for, I think 12 bucks a month, you get all the, the workouts and all that stuff. I know they do those. And again, it's not one size fits all. So it's something to do at least, but I think having your expertise saying, Hey, you know, your, your posture is not correct or, you right. know, okay. It seems right. like, seems like five pound weights aren't that difficult. We should probably move you up to 10. I'll be honest. My girlfriend's probably not doing that when she's doing her Peloton <laughs> workout. She's probably sticking with the fives, but more power to her for doing what she's doing. So we appreciate her there, of course, but no, I think it, it's very important. And you're, you're starting to see that pop up more and more and just that opportunity to have that conversation. What have you seen in terms of reception and reaction to some of these people again we're in this weird situation where there's really nothing better we can do but as you said you kind of see this being a potential moving forward so what how has the reception of this program that you started to build out been from some of your your current clients who you would see on a a face-to-face or an in-person basis at least well both the current clients or the 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 current clients that i had and any new clients Mm -hmm. so far they've loved it awesome because because i there's a slight difference, or there's more than a slight difference, there's a big difference between a prepackaged program that's just disseminated to the masses mm-hmm. versus an online virtual training with a particular trainer that's focused on you exactly. or even a small group. And we're I'm taking into account what their specific needs are and what their strengths and weaknesses are, as opposed to making a program and then saying, here's the program, you do it. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who's using it. So um, there's a place for both. But I think that what I'm doing has really a lot of the clients who were initially maybe a little hesitant because they were like, well, how's that going to work? Well, now Zoom is everybody's doing mm-hmm. Zoom. Uh, ESPN is doing Zoom. Everybody's yeah, doing right? Zoom. <laughs> so I think more the more that we've been doing it, the more comfortable people have become, the more proficient I've become at using it. I'm now using double cameras and all kinds of things. Watch out. (laughs) So um, it's, it's becoming smoother, a smoother operation. And I think people are going to become more and more comfortable with it. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that just decide to stick with that. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's really funny. So I used to do these podcasts through Zoom and, you know, up until about three months ago, I had to, okay, you have to download this application. Like, it's really easy. Don't worry. Don't worry. Right. And now people are asking me like, oh, do you use Zoom? It's like, actually, I don't even use Zoom anymore. But, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny to see how quickly, you know, a snap of a finger, everyone on planet Earth uses this product now. I know. Course, poor Skype, man. They were doing so well until, you know, this <laughs> happened. And now everyone forgot they even existed, which always makes me laugh. And, and one last thing about that, I will say Peloton does not sponsor this podcast. So do not use Peloton. Make sure you're calling LaRue. All of his information will be in the show notes. I'm going to get grab some of those articles. I'll have the documentary if that's a possibility. Everything will be down there. But LaRue Cook, founder of LEC Fitness. Really appreciate your time today, man. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with LaRue. As I said, super, super cool what he's been doing, how he's been able to do it, and the amount of people he's been able to help. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate that from him. Make sure to check out the show notes, uh, LaRue's Facebook and Instagram, you know, social media, they're all going to be there, but also some articles as well as some videos that he was kind enough to send over will be there as well. Please also make sure to follow me on some of my social medias. I don't think all of them are down there, but most of them are. So follow the ones that are down there. We would really appreciate that. And also please make sure to give the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. That is the lifeblood of podcasts. That is how I become rich and famous. That is how I get my $100 million deals. Thank you for all that you do. And thank you so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. And I appreciate you giving me some of yours. So I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.